Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. And they're starting to get messy now in the CRC. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. Also, if you appreciate what we're doing and want to see us keep putting out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. You can support us there and we're hoping to get 20 sponsors at $5 a month. That money will help us keep putting out content from now and into the future. And as we realize, reformation is not going to happen in just a couple of months. It's going to take a long time. So help us keep going in this messy reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Zach Flipsy. So, Zach, why don't you kick us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what church you're at. My name is Zach Flipsy. I was raised at Oostburg Christian Reformed Church. Uh, actually, my, my parents, for the first four years of their marriage, went back and forth between Christian Reformed Church in town and the uh, OPC Church in town. That's where my dad was raised and my mom was raised here. So they went back and forth every other week. And I was baptized at the OPC Church. And then my sister, two years younger, was baptized at the CRC Church. And then they had uh, another daughter. And uh, the CRC pastor said, enough is enough. You have to pick, you have to pick which church is going to... Uh, promise to raise your kids you can't you can't do this forever so they uh they appreciated that pressure i guess because they chose usberg crc uh, so i'm back serving my home church as uh, uh the roles changed over the last eight years now but as associate pastor i'm a commissioned pastor in classes wisconsin um i have a wife and two daughters with one something on the way but we don't know what we're having yet. We will find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, and I just tell people, whatever it is, we'll take it home. So, Amen. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. It is. It's exciting now. I don't know how excited we'll be mid-August when we've got three to deal with, but that's all right. Well, three. So what, what I've always told everyone was the jump from one to two was really tough. The mm-hmm. jump from two to three was kind of tough. And the jump from three to four was nothing. So, no, okay. so, so once, once we got this under our belt, like once you different. hit three is like critical mass after <laughs> that, you've got like enough other kids that they kind of help raise the kids and you kind of just used to the chaos of raising a family. So, well, when I, when we had our first and she was a good sleeper from the get go, I was like calling all my friends and I was like, you got to have kids. I'm going to have 20 kids. This is amazing. And then we had our second and then I called everyone back and said, I'm so sorry. Don't have kids. This is miserable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh there are moments i remember yeah. moments of like sitting up at night with one of my kids and they're crying and you can't get them to be you know you can't get them calmed down and you're just totally despairing like i don't know what to do with this thing right 
And uh, yeah, it's a bad feeling. No, I say that tongue in cheek. Of course we love them. Yeah. Um, yeah. My parents, just, my parents just use NyQuil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my kids are, are one of the, the few. Uh, some, some kids get drowsy on melatonin and some get hyped up. And my kids get nice and hyper on melatonin. So we don't even have that in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We had kids. We could just drive around. That was a couple of them. We could, Ooh, yeah. you know, you don't want to do that all the time or then that's the only way they fall Depend asleep, it, but it, sure. emergency situations, we yeah. put them in a car seat and go for a drive and they'd fall asleep. But, and now, now I've got one kid. I'm she's uh, getting, we're shipping her off to college this summer. So that's been uh, that's kind of crazy. So my oldest is moving out. So does it, does, does it go as fast as they say, Jason? It does. I mean, there's moments that it doesn't feel like it goes fast. You know, there's moments where you're like, oh my goodness, how long? But, but then all of a sudden when you're there, yeah. Yeah. You're like, whoa, I can't believe, you know, mm-hmm. I thought just the other day we were looking at pictures of her when she was four and doing goofy things. And I thought, boy, it seems like that was just yesterday. Wow. So, wow. but, but I'm also, I'm also excited. I'm not one of those parents who kind of wishes my kids would always stay young. Mm. Um, I've thought, you know, God gave them to us to, to grow them up, disciple them and send mm. them out into the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to see what my, uh, my girls are going to do when they get sent out into the world. So, so it's, it's a cool thing to see yeah. them grow up and, and I've got a lot of confidence in them as they go out into the world. And so I'm excited to see that too. That's cool. We'll see, you know, we'll see how I feel as I see her, you know, as I yeah. leave college and drive back home, you know, I might not be as excited in that moment, but that day you won't like it. Yeah. And after that you will again. Yeah, I think so. Right. I think so. So I'd, I'd like to talk, I'd like to just hear your thoughts on what's it been like serving in the church that you, you know, mm. basically grew up in your whole life. Yeah, there are pros and cons. Certainly. Uh, we had all kind of, my training really isn't in pastoring. Uh, at, at this time, I had a lot more training in worship leading. And I, Pastor Drew here is, is the senior, uh, but his training was kind of similar. They recommended that you wait like five plus years before you start making any real change, just because it takes that long to to build some relational capital, to build some trust. Uh, and so I had the benefit of having some of that faster because I had yeah. led some worship yeah. here as a student and as a college student. And, and I knew the people and, you know, some of the landmines and some ways you can push and can't push. So there are benefits that way. There are negatives. Um, having a large, uh, you know, extended family in the church is a real blessing for me, but uh, it, I found that it, it makes people in the church nervous about, confidentiality and things. And I take that very seriously. Um, but there's been situations before, you know, in student ministry where, uh, you know, a parent has said something like, you know, I would have told you earlier, but your, you know, your younger sisters or your cousins are in their friend group and we didn't want it getting out. And, and so then in that case, you feel like a detriment, right? Another pastor could have, could have been better here. So there are real cons, um, yeah, we're we're figuring those out as we go. So, how old were you, or where? Kind of tell us about your call to ministry when you started mm. feeling God laying on your heart that that you were going to be a worship pastor, but then also kind of into youth. Yeah, yeah. So the three things about a call: giftedness, right, and then there's an internal and an external portion. 
I had everything but the internal portion until after I started ministry. Uh, so I had the gifts I'd been doing worship leading and, and even writing some little devotionals that I was sharing on Facebook as a high school and college student and uh, involved in campus ministry at Trinity Christian College, which I loved as a worship scholar there too. It gave me a lot of great training. Uh, so I had the gifts and then I had the external call from some in my life and, and, and one Sunday school teacher in particular who was really on me about considering seminary. Uh, I didn't like that idea. I didn't want to be in school. Uh, I almost didn't go to college at all, uh, except for uh, by the advice of my high school English teacher that said, you got to at least try college. So I I tried Trinity and and I still have a little pros and cons chart. I almost left after first semester. If I wouldn't have been invited to go on praise tour over the first interim, I I don't think I would have been back. Uh, But, but God, moved mountains and and ordained it that I was. So I got this call from so many people that I should be looking into seminary, but I thought at the time that you had to be like a pre-sem undergrad. And I was a semester in college already. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not going to waste all the business credits I just took in this first semester and then make this whole process longer. I don't want to be here to start. Uh, So I, I just threw it out altogether and shortly after kind of getting that, that encouragement to, to seminary and to ministry, we went as a worship scholar program from Trinity to Calvin's Worship Symposium, and they let us in free. Uh, you just have to sit through a pitch by the seminary, because this, this worship scholar program is like full of people uh, who, who went on to, to Calvin Sem. So they know it's a, it's a feeder, so they want you there, and, and it's you know, mutually beneficial, and so we sit through this pitch and this, this guy, I don't even remember his name. He's talking about his call to ministry and said, yeah, I was working in, in the trades. I was an electrician and God gave me this call and I, uh, uh, applied and got into Calvin seminary. And I remember raising my hand and being like, wait, you weren't like a pre-sem or like theology undergrad. And he's like, no, you don't have to be, I mean, it wouldn't hurt, but you don't have to be pre-sem or a theology major. And like, it was just like this very obvious answer to the question that I had, you know, that God had just put in front of me. And so I thought, you know, I, I better take that seriously and uh, finished as a business communication student uh, interested in journalism. Nobody's hiring journalists. <laughs> so <laughs> I found it difficult to find a job. Uh, and my youth pastor from home, Ben Johnson, was leaving for the mission field. They're missionaries in Thailand, him and his family. Uh, and I didn't have a job and was graduating. And my mom said, write church a letter. You, you're interested in ministry. You, you've been told that by people you trust, you know, people discipling you. So I wrote church a letter and said, if you'd be happy with me, I could, you know, do this in an, in, as an interim, in an interim basis until you found somebody. Uh, and that was eight years ago. So here, wow. here, here we are eight years later, they have forgotten that that yeah. i'm here i, I yeah, think that's a long interim zach yeah it is yeah <laughs> yeah that's almost like the opposite of the unintentional interim that that comes in and expects to stay a long time and is only there for like an uh, oh, a year and yeah. a half or so yeah. you know that's one of those um negative parts in a in a tumultuous church but you expect it to only be there for a short period of time and now you're you're hooked yeah and so in the midst of all of that um you know you just was it about a year? Was it last 
uh, spring classes meeting that you became a commission pastor? It was, uh, I believe it was winter of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Whoa, it was that long ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, and so here's the question is, I remember sitting in on your examination and, uh, and a lot of people had said that was one of the, the better or best commission pastor examinations we've had in a very long time. So not to like prop you up, but, but you well, still that's only, haven't. That's only thanks to, to Keith Bice, Pastor Keith, because Keith allowed me to sit down with him about the theological portion uh, oh. and, and helped me formulate my thoughts. So I appreciate Pastor Keith. Well, there is something to just uh, helping it, all of the, the prep work going into an examination yeah. and how, yeah. how it goes well. But I also know you and I know you're, you're theologically sound and educated, um, but you haven't gone to seminary yet, right? Uh, yes, true. Close. Um, and so I, I just, I, I guess the thought would be, I, I love talking to people who haven't gone to seminary, but um, are very well theologically educated, knowledgeable. And so what's that looked like in you, in your life, as far as trying to, to gather that theological knowledge and, and mm. ability? How have you kind of done that? Um, yeah. How's that worked out for you? Well, I'm thankful for the the discipleship work that many people in my life have done. Uh, and, and anyone listening can, can do this kind of stuff outside of seminary. I mean, uh, some advantages I have, uh, I have a, a Timothy situation where I'm, my mother and my grandmother on both sides and, and beyond are, are very serious, faithful Christian people. So raised in the faith, uh, attended church faithfully my whole, my whole life. Thanks to, uh, things that my my parents thought were important and instilled in me. I'm thankful for Christian schooling from preschool through college. I'm uh, thankful for Dave Kotsma at the LDN level, Leadership Development Network that we have here in Classes, Wisconsin. Uh, that was a three-year program where we talk about the Bible, we talk about pastoring, and um, uh, what's the, I think the Creeds and Confessions is another year. Yeah, yeah church, church history. history. Uh, so that was, that was very helpful. And, and pastor drew has been a, a good guide for me, a resource one, but also just, he was the one that moved me into, you know, pushed me towards the LDN program. He was the one that pushed me towards commission pastor exam. Uh, he helped me prepare for that by telling me, here are some things you need to read in advance. Make sure you're very familiar with the creeds and confessions. Make sure you're very familiar with, this author or that author. And so it, it really just people in my life doing the hard work of discipleship and then, you know, God's grace. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, and that, that's why I wanted you to talk about that. Cause I think uh, one of the things that has um, it's come up repeatedly as I've talked to various pastors throughout the CRC, on the one hand, you talk to some people who have this really solid experience of discipleship, kind of faith formation from a young age all the way up, you know, and I can see that in you, right? You, you even, you used the, the, the CRC three-legged stool. You talked about yeah. how you had yeah. a solid, you know, you had a solid family, you had a solid Christian school and sure. you had a solid church, right? And, and that, and I've ha talked to people who've said, oh, the three-legged stool and they're sick and tired of hearing it. But in my own life, I've watched that happen in other people's lives repeatedly when they have all three legs of that stool um we get solid dedicated devoted believers who are who are serving in ministry and they know their bible well and so 
Um, but then you talk to some other people and they, uh, they notice that we're struggling in the CRC. If we look at the CRC in general, we're struggling to uh, disciple our people that we feel like, you know, a lot of our flock is probably um, a little more biblically illiterate than we would like. And so um, what, do, what kind of things do you think we could be doing in our churches to try to help? Um, do you think we need to try to recover the three-legged stool or do we need to, uh, wh- what would you say, to, how would you encourage us to do better with discipleship in our churches? That's a great question. I don't think there's an answer, a single answer. I could highlight a number of things if that would be helpful to people. On the one hand, the three-legged stool is preferable to me. And I hope to raise my kids in a Christian home, in a Christian school, in a Christian church. Uh, but it's, it's also no guarantee. I have plenty of friends who had all three legs of the stool and yet have fallen. Um, so w- what other things are necessary? One, it, it's the work of God. Yeah. Uh, two, I think if we're, if we're talking about biblical literacy, adult education, and, and again, this, I hate speaking in broad generalities because there's, there's certainly plenty of people listening who probably have great adult education opportunities at their church. It's, it's something we're not strong at here at Oostworks CRC, and we know that, and we've been working on it. Uh, but we could do a better job providing opportunities for our adults to be discipled. Uh, we do a lot better at it with students, student ministry, uh, but not so much with adults. Um, another, another thing would be uh, evening service attendance. I think ideally in a, in a healthy church, the evening service would be increasing in attendance. Uh, not that it's some uh, mark of true faith or requirement, right? You're not going to get to the pearly gates. And then Peter says, sorry, you missed too many night services. That's not how it's going to work, of course. But people who are hungry to be discipled are taking those opportunities. And I don't think we see that uh, Although we do okay at it at Usberg CRC, but I know on a classical level, and I don't know beyond, I would, I would make an assumption that beyond classes, Wisconsin, that across the CRC, that's probably a dying trend, evening services, and one that would concern me. Another thing, this is from that book, Growing Young, that was given to me. We were at the same youth conference before we knew each other, Jason, where we yeah. were given that book, uh, and they talk about keychain leadership, um, We've seen that be really, really beneficial for us with students. It's just giving them opportunities and, and really big opportunities. So we have a lot of students involved with our praise team. It is normal for one of our tech members on a Sunday to be under the age of 12 uh, running the soundboard or the video. Uh, and then we, there's always an adult kind of behind them, making sure that it doesn't totally fall apart, but they do fine. I mean, these kids pick this up and, uh, leaving church open so that after school students can come in here and do as they please and not treating the pews like they're holy and kind of turning it over to them, right? Keychain, giving them the keys to the building and saying, look, as long as you don't break things, this place belongs to you as much as it belongs to me. Uh, and, and we've seen some real success in discipleship 
because of that keychain leadership type of thing. And those are, those are suggestions and it's not going to work for everybody. And one of the things I, I hate about those conferences, like we were at Jason is you bring in somebody from, I don't know, Newport news, Virginia. Is that in Virginia? I think it's in Virginia, whatever. I'm, I'm making up a random town and they come and say, you know, we had this college across the street from us and we put a ping pong table because we have these big windows that face the quad at the college. And they noticed we had a ping pong table and we just opened the doors all day and students started playing ping pong. And then we saw a whole bunch of students come to the Lord because they came to our service. And it's like, well, great suggestion, but we don't have a college across the street. We don't have big windows facing the quad. We don't have the staff to make something like this work and so there's no i don't think you can just copy and paste what has worked here uh but maybe those are just general enough sentiments that somebody could take something useful yeah amen well and like you said i i think one of the ways we can talk about ways that um we can talk about specific ways that we've um seen ministry happen successfully in our own context but you're Mm -hmm. right We, we really all need to be students of our you know, we, we hear a lot of people say we need to be students of our culture, right? We need to, we need to know our culture. We need to know our city, but, but I'd talk about even in a smaller focus, we need to be students of our church. We're like, we really need to know our people yeah. yeah. and, uh, and the students in our youth ministry and, the, and the seniors, you know, that like the elderly in our church, we need to know them and then work to try to use their gifts and talents and try to, and how, how we can reach them and build them up. And that's different in every single course, community. Right. Yep. I mean, and that's been, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why um, you had mentioned earlier on that, that Drew was encouraged not to make any changes really for the first five years, right? Because you got to build trust and all of that. Um, but I think underneath that, it takes a really long time to actually learn the community that you're in. Sure. To really know your people and to really right. get a feel for um, who, whose gifting can be used in what ways and, and, to, and how your church meets, meets the needs of the, just the community that you're yeah, in the city that right. you're in. It takes a really long time to get all of that square. I mean, I'm in year three and a half right now in my church, and I'm just starting to feel like I'm really getting the groove of that, you know, understanding our people and, and, and starting to understand our city. But but even then, I I can't sit down and say, here's the needs of our city and here's how our church can meet it. I, I have to spend a lot of time thinking about that on a regular yeah. basis. So growing up in the CRC, one of the questions we like to ask people is just what are what are some of the things that you love about the, the Christian Reformed Church? Hmm. Or what, what are some of the strengths of the Christian Reformed Church? That is a good question. You know, I don't think I would be able to answer this if i didn't if i didn't work in the crc if you would have asked me this as a high school senior before i knew what liturgy meant and before i really had any grasp on the forms of unity or anything like that i'm not sure i could answer it on the other side i think there's a number of things i could point to that maybe younger me even could have recognized I appreciate the small local church, which is a trademark of the CRC in general. Um, We tend to not have big, large, several thousand people 
gatherings. It tends to be local churches ministering to local congregations, local people. I appreciate that. I think that's a good way to, to do discipleship and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I appreciate a commitment to a, a, a Orthodox liturgy that includes a prayer of confession, that includes reading of the law, that includes in most places a, a morning prayer for the, the cares and concerns of the local church. Uh, and I think those are all things that younger me probably could have recognized. Then there's some some things kind of only on the other side, the forms of unity. I mean, having a, having a real foundation that, that binds us together and guards from guards from heresy, which I think I would be very given to without any guarding and just natural human inclination. Uh, I appreciate the bottom up structure of the CRC that gives the local church a lot of power acknowledging, you know, if we want to be local churches to local people, then that local church has to be able to make some decisions for how to minister in their context. And I appreciate the open-handedness of the CRC. Uh, I've, I've seen real benefit to the work of uh, World Renew and Resonate in supporting uh, needs around the world. I think there's a strong commitment in the CRC to, uh, to the globe. I appreciate that. We have a pretty strong history with uh, caring for immigrants in the CRC. Uh, a lot of Dutch immigrants that received that care um, many years ago, and now um, a lot of care for Syrian at one point and Afghan, most recently refugees. I appreciate that about the CRC. Uh, yeah, that's it's a pretty long list, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a longer list than normal, but I appreciate that. That well, I've. Uh, it's weird to be, so I've been in the CRC for almost 30 years now which a lot of okay this isn't going to come off right older ladies in the church who married in or older men uh although the men tend to die <laughs> die earlier that's just a stat uh who have been married in and they're much more senior than I am I've actually been here longer because I've I've been here for 30 years. So it's a long list because I've been in the CRC for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, and one of the things, um, well, there's a few things that you mentioned I want to, I want to talk about, and I want to talk about liturgy a little bit more um, just because we haven't really had anybody else who's um, on the podcast, who's been a worship leader. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so what is it about, um, the kind of the the traditional liturgy of the CRC that you find so helpful and uh, and such a strength of our denomination. We just did First Corinthians fourteen with my middle schoolers last week Wednesday, which is talking about orderly worship. Um, so it talks about the things that have to be in in your worship. You have to have a hymn. There should be a revelation. There should be a teaching. There should be an instruction from the Word. Uh, we check all those boxes, the liturgy we use in the CRC, which, which stretches all the way back to John Calvin's liturgies. But uh, uh, that, that text goes on to say that any, anyone who walks in your church should be able to recognize their sinfulness. It says should be convicted and fall on their knees and worship God. And the thing I love about our, our commitment in most CRC churches to the service of confession and assurance 
and I've said this before this way, even in my worst failure as a pastor, if I fail to get the gospel across in the sermon, I know that the gospel got across in every single service we do here because everybody was asked to confess their sins and heard the assurance of pardon, which is the grace of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is, is evident that conviction, that falling on your knees before God has to happen in our service. You don't have to pick the right songs. You don't have to have the best sermon. It just happens because of the way our liturgy is set up. I think, I think that's, that's a huge strength. Yeah. Amen. Well, not only that, one of the things that really struck me in seminary um, when I took, uh, I took a forming worshiping communities class with John Whitvliet, mm-hmm. who's kind of the head of the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. And, and one of the things that he really emphasized in that class that for some reason I had just never thought of, and now I, it seems foolish that I never thought of it, but he talked about the formative nature of liturgy, just how we're formed by showing up and going through these practices every single mm. week. And, mm. and that just shapes the rest of our life. And so we, we show up, we confess our sin, we get assurance of pardon, we hear God's word, we respond in praise and prayer and kind of this dialogical worship thing happening. And that forms us and that, that formation that happens through that liturgy rolls over into every day of our, of our life. Right. And uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me when we were going through that, um, for quite a while, for a, a big chunk of my life, I, I recognized I had a, I had a struggle, a struggle. Confession of sin wasn't a regular part of my life. Mm. I kind of just lived um, like, well, I, I'm a sinner and I'm saved and, and blah, 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 blah. And I yeah. didn't really confess my sin often. Yeah. It just sure. was... Um, and then I was recognizing the formative nature of worship, and I recognized that the church I grew up in had removed the confession of sin Ooh. from the worship service. Mm-hmm. And we didn't read the law, and we didn't read confession, it just was gone. And I, it was like, not that I can just blame it on them, right? I have to take ownership of this. But, but it just struck me that when that got removed from the service, that kind of just naturally ended up being kind of removed from my life. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to work hard to kind of get that to be part of my normal rhythms of life is, is this confession of sin. And so it's really one of the beauties of having, having that gospel centered liturgy, like you talked about, just to get those patterns of, of confession, repentance, and then assurance of pardon baked into yeah. every day of our life. So here's another thing. I love that. Uh, we, in our liturgies in the Christian Reformed Church, again, speaking generally, but there's an incredible breadth of postures. So you, in a typical, you know, liturgy like ours, which in my, in my experience is common across CRC churches, you are invited by God to come and worship. You respond in, in joy and thanksgiving with a song or, or something like uh, you confess your sins, you are assured of your forgiveness, you read the law, uh, either to be convicted of sin or to, to inspire, you, inspire you to grateful, fruitful living, you hear an instruction from the word, you, you sing a hymn of consecration, a hymn of commitment, and so there's, there's joy, there's confession, there's mercy, there's thanksgiving, uh, there's this, this great breadth of, of things that you're practicing, so I love talking, talking about like 
basketball practice back in high school. We ran the Princeton offense, um, getting way too heady, but there were a lot of backdoor cuts. So we would practice like bits and pieces of our offense. Like we would take just the backdoor cut and pass, and then we would run it as a drill. And we would take just the pick and roll part of the offense and run just that part as a drill over and over. So that when we got in those situations in the game, we knew exactly how to execute it. And I like the breadth of things that we practice in our service from joy to confession and everywhere in between. So that when we, when we get in those situations in the world, we know how to express our gratitude to God. We know how to confess our sins, or at least we don't always get it right, but we've, we've got that training kind of in our toolkit because of what, what this CRC liturgy dating back 500 years has, has prepared in us. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Zach Flipsy. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.